Hello and welcome to iloveedmontonrealestate.com. My name is Jason Scott. I'm your host. With me today is Mark Friesen of Coldwell Banker Venture Realty. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thanks for having me. Okay, so Mark, how long have you been a real estate agent for? I have been in the business uh, as a realtor for approximately almost 10 years, actually. Okay. Do you have any awards or uh, recognitions that we should talk about? I did actually get a couple awards early on uh, in my uh, career. I got Rookie of the Year with Coldwell Banker my first year in, uh, as well as uh, I continually get Ultimate Service Awards for service, uh, sorry, with the feedback from our clients. Uh, Coldwell Banker does a, a survey and they send out something after each transaction. And uh, if you get 98% or above, then uh, you get the Ultimate Service Award. Okay. So, have you always been with Coldwell Banker? I have. Actually, I started with Coldwell Banker. I guess I might be a rarity. I've uh, I haven't moved any brokerages. So, that is uh, a rarity. It is, yeah. <laughs> so, so how is it that you came to be with Coldwell Banker? It just so happens that my neighbor was the manager at the Coldwell Banker office that I'm with, and uh, it just seemed like a good fit. And so, I've uh, I've continued to kind of hang my hat there. Okay. How was it that you got into real estate? Many years ago, my wife was so happy at her job that it kind of made me upset. And uh, my wife and I had some rental properties and she said to me, you love finding properties for us. Why don't you do it for others? And that's basically how it started. Just so happens again that the manager of the Colo Banker office was my neighbor. His name is Jim Esch been in the industry for over 40 years and so he kept telling me that he thought that I would be a really good realtor with my background of having rental properties and knowing construction etc and so finally I took the jump and uh, I made the the transition from the military to uh, real estate okay and so you were in the military how long were you in the military and what did you do there I was in the military for almost eight years I was with the Armored Corps, so I was with the local unit in Edmonton, the Lord Strathcona's Horse, Royal Canadians. Did a couple tours in Bosnia, uh, got to see the world a little bit and do some traveling, which was one of the main reasons why I joined the military uh, as well. So yeah, that was kind of my military history. Okay. Are there any skill sets that transfer from the military to real estate? I think work ethic is pretty important. Uh, obviously, in the military, you have orders, you have things that you have to do, uh, you have a process that you take to do them efficiently. Mm -hmm. I think that transfers over to real estate quite well. Having relationships with people in the military, you're really tight and close with your fellow guys in the regiment. And so I think having relationships is important as well in real estate. And so yeah, I think that served me well as well. Okay. And so when you were in the military, you owned rental properties or was there a, a period of time in there where you were out of the military but owned rentals? We, yeah, we basically started to get into the rental business, I guess, while I was in the military. So that's what it led to. We started with some rental properties and, uh, and that's where it kind of started. Okay. And do you still own rentals? Yes, we do. Okay. Yeah. In Edmonton? In Edmonton, yes. Okay. How are you finding the, the rental market these days? Obviously, the rental market is a lot different now than it was, you know, a year ago. Mm -hmm. You know, having sub 1% vacancy rates to now, I, you know, there's a lot of reports, but I think we're looking at probably a 7-ish percent. 
vacancy rate. So the atmosphere has really changed a lot. But I find my wife and I really believe in having a good product. And so we look at having a good rental property and hopefully finding a good renter for that property. And so it's, uh, it's done us really well. Like we really can't complain. Gotcha. Any vacancies right now? Not for us. No? We're all full up and that's always a good thing. Very good. So, okay. So your wife was happy. You were coming home from your job in the military and not being happy. You made the plunge into real estate. Did you really know what was involved in being a realtor before you jumped in? Honestly, no. You don't fully understand what's involved until you were there. That's my opinion anyways. It was a lot different than I thought, but I still found it very rewarding. So, yeah, the difference, you know, we looked at when you go through your training, it's all paperwork, legal issues, etc. And when you actually get into the field, you realize that the percentage of that is so minimal that you do. Uh, Yeah, it's, it's way different. Right. So, okay. So, uh, give me a couple more examples of the differences. Uh, office procedure as an example. Okay. You don't get taught anything about how you have to report sales, etc., what paperwork is involved. Right. So, you go into a brokerage and every brokerage is going to be a bit different, but you go into a brokerage and you get a sale and you don't have a clue what you're doing. Right. You've got to go and learn that procedure for that office. Right. And when there's changes in contracts, what do you have to do? Who do you have to send it to? uh, To make sure that that gets all conveyed to the lawyers, etc. So, yeah, our office procedure, I found, was a huge learning curve. And then just getting to know clients and understanding what buyers' needs are after you meet with them and you talk with them. Yeah. That was, of course, they don't teach that in class. Yeah. The whole customer service and and relationship thing is completely different, right? Yep. Okay. Once you were into the business, when did you know it was the right move to be in real estate? Once I got over the culture shock of the change of being self-employed, I was very content with getting a government paycheck. And so to go to a commission-based salary was pretty much unheard of in my mind, like just not even in the realm. And so making that jump was huge, but it was just after I got in and you kind of wrapped your brain around commission sales and helping people. And you realize really quickly, I did anyways, that it was the right move. It was something, it was very satisfying. It was rewarding. Mm -hmm. You, you know, you are ultimately making people's dreams come true with owning their first home mm-hmm. or upgrading to, you know, an acreage or that next step in their life because of, you know, children, etc. So it was really rewarding pretty quickly. Yeah. Do you remember any specific transactions where the, the penny dropped and you were like, hey, I finally am doing what I'm supposed to be doing? It was my first deal that I put together and that closed. I remember the joy and the excitement on that young couple's face when we got the keys and they opened the door to their first place. And it was like, this is what I want to do. There's no question about it. It it was so satisfying. At the time, it was unbelievable, really. Mm -hmm. 
Do you still feel that on uh, transactions these days? Absolutely. Even if there are somebody that has maybe bought three houses, five houses, it there is that kiddish joy in them that comes out. Some people, it's a little bit shorter period of time. Others, it's longer. But there's always a snippet of that. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's back to being the little kid on Christmas morning. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Is there a uh, specific part of Edmonton or property class that you focus on? I do most of my business on the east corridor of Edmonton. So just the east side, north uh, to south and uh, Sherwood Park, as well as acreages east and southeast. Okay. So that's the bulk of my business is there. Every once in a while, because of my military contacts, I do get to go north, uh, north of the city, you know, Mournville area, those types of areas. But uh, but most of my business is on that East Corridor and uh, Sherwood Park. Okay. So if you were to name communities, uh, Gold Bar, what else? Gold Bar, Fulton, Otwell, Kenilworth, Millwoods. We're talking all those areas, and then, okay. of course, Sherwood Park, and then the acreages east and south. Okay, so that's your specialty. So yep. mostly single-family homes then? Yeah, they're all single-family, most of them. Okay. Yep. What are you seeing as trends going on in those neighborhoods right now? Right now, they are the trends are basically, if they're priced right, they're selling. Even during these times that you know we've seen inventories go up, uh, we find that there's still a huge draw for these areas. The bungalows are simple. They can be renovated. They can be made and looked to be new homes with bigger lots. And it's an established neighborhood. And so I find that there's definitely a desire to be in those areas. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's, that's what I'm seeing in these areas at this point in time. So. so today's October 17th. And in Edmonton, it is a very gloomy, cloudy dismal kind of day and just by coincidence it's the first day of this new mortgage rule regime where all insured mortgages are qualifying at a significantly higher qualifying rate what's your take on the rule changes and how that's going to impact edmonton's housing market i think initially it's going to be a wait and see for a lot of buyers a lot of people have trouble with change and i think most of us are all going to be basically have to navigate this change the first little while. And and that's why I think a lot of people are going to do the wait and see for the next month or two. In the long run, I don't think it's going to affect us huge. I really don't. And the reason for that is if you were qualified for 575,000 before, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but we're probably looking at then with those, the new changes, we're probably going to be more around the 500 mark. It's about a 20% drop 20%. in terms of if you're an insured mortgage in terms of what you'll be able to qualify for. So if that's the case, people are just going to have to realize that they're not going to be able to get that 575. They're going to have to go to something lower. Mm-hmm. Life happens. People have to make changes. And so I don't think it's going to affect us hugely long term. Do I think we're going to have a little blip in the map? In the short term, yes, because everybody or a lot of people need some time to absorb that change before they make a decision. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my take on it. I think it's going to affect us a little bit in the short term. In the long term, you know, 
we're just going to have to adjust our game plans. Simple as that. Yeah, my take on it is, you know, the government does not have direct control over unsecured lending. So when I look at clients' applications, it's the credit card debt, the lines of credit, the vehicle loans that get them into trouble. And so going forward, you know, the government is able to make policy change around CMHC and have an impact on people's finances and lives through the housing rule changes. So from my perspective, certainly younger buyers, they're going to have to clean up the unsecured debt side of the equation if they want to get into the house that they're looking or the type of property at the price point that they're looking to, to buy at. Totally agree. There's only certain things that are within our control personally. And like you said, the government can control what they can control. And so if we clean up our ends, there is a good chance that people can be pretty much at the very close to the same amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are going to have to do our part. Mm-hmm. And that's where it comes in talking to your realtor, talking to your mortgage broker, getting a game plan in place. Because if you want to end up at Station X, you're going to have to do this, this, and this to get there. Yeah. And so I think it's a great opportunity to give solid advice to clients so that we can get them to the goal that they want to be at. Yeah. They want to be in that home. Then let's take these steps to get there. Yeah. What sort of questions have you been getting from your clients or your new prospects uh, around the rule changes? You know what? There hasn't been a ton of questions per se, but they are asking like, how is this going to change? Obviously with the timeline that we were given, uh, which was non-existent, pretty much non-existent. Uh, you know, some people were concerned about that. Yeah. They were like, "What's going to happen?" And it's like, "Well, this is what's going to happen. We're going to have to, you know, get the ball rolling if you want to get ahead of the game or get ahead of the rule changes." So it is definitely uh, been one of the questions: is the timeline because it was so quick. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, Edmonton's economy has done better than, uh, let's say, Calgary over the last, say, year or so with the downturn in oil prices. We've had a lot of construction going on here that I think has insulated us somewhat. A lot of those big projects are coming to an end, like the Arena or the Anthony Henday, etc. Where do you think the market is going to be in the uh, short to medium term? So the next six months to a year or so? I think we're still going to be relatively consistent. Yeah, just consistent with the market as we are right now. It's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen with the oil prices uh, being a little bit steadier right now, mm-hmm. which is a good thing, I think, is, is a positive. And so I, I don't know. I think it's going to be more of a wait and see what's going to happen over the next six to eight months, maybe even 10 months. And, but I think the economy is going to be relatively stable at where we're at right now. There is still a lot of uh, construction going on and projects. I am seeing more signs of hiring for um, certain projects. I think we're going to be okay as a whole. Mm-hmm. Edmonton has been so resilient through this whole process. You know, there's been changes made, but I think we're going to do well. In the next, you know, within the next uh, short term to longer term, you know, a year, year and a half, right. two years down the road as well. Yeah. I, and I would tend to agree with that for sure. So, Mark, what, uh, who's your ideal client? 
My ideal client, oh, I've got lots of them. <laughs> <laughs> but who do you like working with? First timers are so rewarding, obviously. Like just the, in most cases, they are very information hungry. So when you tell them what they need to do, they are making the list and they're on it. And so those clients are super rewarding because you know they are motivated to get to their goal. And so that's really, really nice to see. Having said that, I have a, a pretty good uh, investor base clientele and they're very rewarding in different ways because they want to build their portfolio. And so it's really nice to be able to help them get their basically portfolio goals met uh, for the long term. So I, I love both. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a hard toss-up, but yeah, investors, first-timers, they're awesome. Do you work primarily then with buyers rather than uh, on the listing side of things? I am very much 50-50. Okay. My statistics that go back several years, I am very close to a 50-50 split with listings and buyers, yeah. which ideally I think it's really helpful because you're seeing both sides yeah. on a consistent basis. So it, I think that helps me as well. Okay. Right before we started uh, the recording, we were talking a little bit about open houses. And you were talking specifically about open houses for realtors. Tell me a little bit about that and why you do them. For realtor open houses, I like doing them because you're bringing in realtors that are going to look at a home. And this has happened to me often. I will go to a realtor open house. I will walk through a home and I have this list of clients, buyer clients that come through my brain. And so it basically brings them to the forefront and you determine whether some of them or this home might be a match for some of them. So I find it really brings people that maybe not ready to buy when you met them six months ago, but they're feeling out the waters. And so you go to this realtor open, you realize this home might be a real serious contender for them. Mm -hmm. And when you bring, contact them, let them know what it is, they decide to go look at the home, it really starts that ball rolling with them. And so it helps with the learning process for those buyers, because a lot of them will be first timers and they need to see a few homes in general before they're gonna pull the trigger. Mm -hmm. So if you get that going with them, and yeah, they may not buy that home or put an offer on that home, but they, there's a chance that they may. And at the end of the day, that's what you can do. You can present those properties to them and then they will determine whether they're something that they want or don't. Right. And then if you're hosting the Realtor Open House, I guess it's the same idea. Right? Same idea. Exposing it to as many people. If you can get every single Realtor that comes to your Realtor Open House that jogs one or two buyers to the forefront of their brain and you just basically generated X amount of showings. Without showings, you're not going to sell a property. So the more showings you get, the greater chance you're going to sell the home. Right. So what do you think the most effective way of getting showings to a house and ultimately getting a, a property sold is these days? I think social media. I really do. As much as I am a very much a relationship individual, in-person type of realtor, social media is a huge tool for us to get that property out to the masses. And so photos is an example. It's the old saying about a photo is worth a thousand words. Mm -hmm. I totally 
as much as it is so cliche, yeah. it is so true. They say so statistics tell us that if you don't have photos or videos, that the buyer that's perusing the internet at two in the morning, they flip by your listing in a glance. Yeah. If it has a photo, and especially if it has a lot of good photos, the longer that person can stay on that listing, the greater the chance that they're going to want to show him. Right. Okay. So I really emphasize on good pictures. I think any one of us that has looked on MLS yeah. have seen listings that have horrible pictures. And so I find it really important to have a good photo, not a photo of a corner and part of a bed or a part of a window. You need to have good photos that people look at and get a, can get a flow for the home sitting at their chair or at their desk at 2 a.m. or whenever they are on and actually can understand a little bit more about that home. And that's important so that they may make that call to their realtor and say, I want to see this home. Right. So when you say social media, I mean, are you thinking specific social platforms like Facebook or, or what are you using these days? I'm more of the Facebook side of things. But, you know, you got your Instagrams, all those types of things. So basically, it's all of them. Mm -hmm. uh, the more you can subject that property to or expose it to, mm -hmm. the better. So you've actually sold properties by having them on Facebook as a Facebook ad or, or sharing it out to your network? Yes, absolutely. Hmm, that's interesting. Now, do you think Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, etc., will replace or, or come close to the draw that the MLS system does and, and people going on realtor.ca? I don't think it'll replace it. Mm -hmm. I think it is just a really nice tool above and beyond it. I really do. It's a great tool to have. MLS, realtor.ca, it's, it's a great system. Mm -hmm. It works really well. But I don't, I don't think it's going to replace it. Not in the near future anyways, mm -hmm. right? Who knows what's going to happen? If you were to look at the changes that happened in real estate from 20 years ago, people would say that you're probably crazy 20 years ago if you if you mentioned these things to them. So who knows what's going to happen down the road further down. But in the near future, I don't predict that being replaced per se. Right. Now, I saw on your Facebook profile the other day, you were you posted a video and you had a drone going over an acreage. Yes. Tell me about that. I got a quadcopter. I use it for marketing for acreages. And so what I'm working on right now is basically a promotional video to highlight what that quadcopter can bring for video and for photos. So it's not complete yet, uh, but I am working on it. Yeah. And it just gives a really good perspective of the land, the situation of the house and outbuildings on the land that you just can't capture with a camera. Like back 20 years ago, of course, to get any aerial photos, you'd have to hire a, a plane and the photographer and go out, cost a fortune. Yeah. Now I can go up in a matter of probably 15 to 20 minutes. I can probably capture oh, a couple minutes of video. I can probably have 20 to 30 photos. Uh, you know, I can be 200 meters up in the air and taking pictures of the entire lot or acreage and seeing where all those outbuildings sit. For a lot of buyers, that's really important. They need to know where they can put those trailers that they have for their small business or their camper trailers, their toys. 
And if they don't have areas to do that, they don't want the house. So if you can give them that, that means they can see if this house is going to be a, a contender well before they even get there and look at the home. Right. They have check marks in those boxes already saying, this will work for this, this will work for that. Yeah. And then they, of course, come to the home and do the final check. And then sometimes it leads to the offer the same day of a, uh, of a viewing. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So when did you start the drone thing? I've been doing it for probably about six months now. Okay. And so, to be honest, I'm not the best pilot. I'm not an <laughs> RC guy. So it was very challenging for me to, uh, to have multiple things going on on that controller at once. Right. I know that if I was probably 20 years younger, it would be a breeze. Yeah. I'm sure my 10-year-old and my 8-year-old might even be able to do better than I do. Yeah, you got to brush up on your PS4 skills. Absolutely. Because <laughs> I, I, it was pretty miserable at first. I, I didn't realize how much talent it took to fly that quadcopter, pivot, elevate, and then also pivot the camera all at the same time. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was a bit challenging, but uh, but it was fun all in the same uh, same thing. So let's go back a little bit to you and your experience in real estate. Tell me about the most frustrating day you ever had in real estate. I remember this quite vividly. Um, it was a bit of a little bit of a real estate nightmare for me, and but I learned a lot from it. And it was basically a listing. One of the sellers was from out of country, so her expectations were totally different from her experience in that country versus here in Canada. So we went through a lot of information and we sat down, discussed many things, answered all our questions. We proceeded with the listing and in a very short period of time, realized that this was going to be really hard. And the reason is because expectations were just so high for things that there was no way I could meet them. And obviously I went above and beyond. I had meetings with them, sit downs with a list of every concern they had. We went through every single concern. Within a 12 hour period, I had an email how they were unhappy. Even though after we dealt with every single concern, I would ask, are you okay and happy with the explanation I gave you? the plan to rectify this or to put this into effect? And the answer was yes. 12 hours later, I get an email. They weren't happy with anything. Mm -hmm. So I realized from my old manager, he said, Mark, you need a thick skin in real estate. He says, there will be times that you, no matter what you do, it will not be good enough for someone. Mm -hmm. So I realized very early on, that uh, this was that client. Yeah. No matter what I did, no matter how far I went above and beyond, it was not going to be good enough. Yeah. You can't be all things to all people, basically. Absolutely. You can't. And so even though you want to be, you want to have them happy with your service. It was really tough on me emotionally to have to basically lead that situation or that contract and move on. Because it was for the betterment of them as well as myself. Mm -hmm. And it was really, really emotionally tough for me because I couldn't understand why I couldn't please them and 
deal with all the things that they wanted and or explain to them why it was not, didn't make sense to do it. Right. So. So in retrospect and, you know, having some distance from it, was there anything that could have been done differently? No. I have racked my brain over this for years because it happened years ago. And I often look back at it and going, what could I have done from my experience now? Was there stuff that I could do differently yeah. to salvage that relationship and that business relationship and sell their home? Yeah. And I have yet to come across anything that I could have done differently that they would have been happy with. Yeah. And that's where I had to just realize I could not be all things for all people. And this was one of those situations. Yeah. Although, you know, from my personal experience, usually when something doesn't come together, inevitably it's my fault, right? I didn't communicate somehow or I wasn't clear in my communications, etc. Communication is key to the mortgage brokering industry and obviously to your end of things Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. What's the best real estate advice you ever received? The best real estate advice I ever received was probably what I just touched on was uh, from Jim Esch, my old manager at Coldwell Banker. And he said, uh, you will not be all things to all people. He says, you are good at what you do, but some relationships just won't work. And the sooner you realize that, the better. Because emotionally, it'll eat you up. If you don't understand that. Mm -hmm. So that's that's one of them for sure. So Mark, you live in a, what we would call a mature neighborhood. We're actually doing the interview in your uh, living room. And you're in a bungalow. House was, I'm guessing, built in the mid to late 50s. Yes. Yep. But you walk into your... Well, you don't even walk into your house. You walk up to your house and you can see the house has been heavily renovated. You walk inside and it's basically like a, you know, 2016 show home in terms of the decor, etc. So going back to your idea of focusing on bungalows in the east side of uh, Edmonton, it seems to me that you're living the kind of home you're expecting your clients will be interested in. Yeah, to a certain point, absolutely. I just find with the bungalows, because they're a one-story, simplistic built home, you can make a lot of changes that makes them very modern. Of course, a big part of our draw in design is uh, open concept. Mm -hmm. We took out walls in our bungalow, put in beams, so we're not shy or scared of doing some renovations. It's mm -hmm. just your, your relationship with those people that you trust to come in, do the work, and basically fulfill your vision of what you want. We get a lot of comments when people come into our home saying, this feels like a new home. And that was exactly what we were going for. Mm -hmm. We wanted a home in an established neighborhood, bungalow, and we wanted to make it feel like a new home. And mm -hmm. that's what we did. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, I, a lot of people aren't too interested in doing renovations. I think if you are open to that, you can really add value to a home in these older established neighborhoods mm -hmm. that can benefit you financially later on when it's time to sell your home uh, because those areas are desirable to a, a good portion of people. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's these areas I think are kind of uh, a gold mine. Mm -hmm. I don't think people realize that. 
Uh, we're seeing more infills because that's always an option as well. Mm-hmm. But my wife and I basically said we wanted a bungalow. We wanted one story to live, the main floor to live on. And then the basement we developed as well for extra square footage with kids, etc. Mm-hmm. We didn't want a two-story. We didn't want to be running stairs all the time. And that was a personal preference for us. I know, you know lots of people that have no issues with that. And that's great. But we were just thinking we didn't want that. And that's why we looked in older neighborhoods, bungalows, and renovating them to meet our needs. Mm-hmm. Well, and the, uh, thinking long-term, you'll be able to stay in this home longer than you might otherwise in a two-story, depending on how your health goes in the future. Absolutely. And the funny thing, it's funny that you bring that up, because that's ex- one of the checkboxes that we had on our list of criteria. And that's why we wanted something that if we decided to stay long-term, mm-hmm. we could. And with a bungalow, that is a viable option. With most of the new two stories, depending on your health and different things that happen down the road in your life, that just won't fit. That was something we thought about when we bought a house, uh, looking long-term down the road, can we stay here as we age Mm -hmm. and move, like stay there without having to move? And and the answer was yes. Okay. So when you're looking at these, uh, these neighborhoods on the east side, who are the clients who are being attracted to, you know, these, these types of properties? We are looking at a lot of younger families mm-hmm. uh, that come into these areas that like more of the mature neighborhoods. There's nothing wrong with the suburbs. There are some nice suburbs with nice homes. But there's a lot of people that want a little bit larger lots mm-hmm. with houses that are more established, have the larger trees are closer to downtown. You know, we're, we're, we're only a few minutes from downtown. And for us, that was a good thing. We are, as well, really close to the Anthony Henday, the Yellowhead, and most routes throughout the city. So I think as buyers, you have to think of those things. Where are you going for work? How long is it going to take for you to commute um, for your uh, hobbies? What direction are you heading out of the city? Are you going towards the mountains or not? You know, these are all things that you have to the factor in. Some are going to be more important than others. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you, you have to factor those things in. Right. Okay. So if you look back on your last 10 closings, do you see any trends developing? Trends, yes. I just talked about people that were open to doing renos, but I definitely see a trend of people that want to move in and live and don't necessarily want to do the renovation game, which is nothing wrong with that. There's homes throughout the city that people have renovated and they're ready to go. Older homes, newer homes, doesn't matter. But the definite trend I find is people are looking at homes that they don't want to necessarily put a lot of money or time into after they purchase it. Okay. That's definitely something I'm seeing more of as of late. So if I'm a seller then, maybe I should be sprucing the place up before I list? Curb appeal, interior renovations. If you do them smartly, most of them will pay off in the long run. Now, that's very important to make sure you talk to your us realtors, your uh, contractors, to make sure if you're doing it for resale, that you're doing it the right way. It's very important that if you're going to get this work done or spend the money to do it, that it looks professional and it looks good. Right. You know, going into homes, many homes, uh, as I do, 
you definitely see where people have dropped the ball and it affects the bottom line. So what's an example of dropping the ball? Just workmanship. You'll walk into a house and you will see new kitchens, new bathrooms, etc. done. So renovations that have been done to an older home. And the workmanship is so poor that the comments from buyers are they were better off to have left it original. And you never want to hear that yeah. if that's your home. Yeah, yeah. And so that's why it's so very important that when you get someone to do the work, or if you do it yourself, that you do it and you get your proper permits, you get it done so it looks like a professional has done it. It needs to look professional. And that is the key. Okay. So, Mark, obviously, if you had friends or family who were buying in Edmonton, you'd be the person to help them out. But let's say they're buying across the country. And so you're, you don't know the market. You're not in a position to help them. How should someone go about choosing the right real estate agent to work with? How do you know if you've got the right fit? I think the number one advice that I would give a, a relative across the country or a friend is determine if your realtor's in it for the paycheck or are they in it for what's best for you. I have, I'll say lost listings to because I've said to people, do you think maybe you're better off to do this or that? And it's because I want them to make the right decision so that they financially get ahead versus my paycheck. And almost every time I do that, they will refer me to somebody that I sell their home. So it's not like I lost a sale. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that if I go in there looking out for their best interest, and maybe when they tell me the big picture, the whole story, maybe it's not in their best interest to sell their home or to buy a certain type of home, or maybe just not buy right now, depending on their situation. Now, there's so many factors that factor in here, and that's why it's so important that you talk to your professional realtor, your mortgage broker, so then people get the big picture view so they can advise you on the best thing for you from their perspective. So number one, determine if he or she is in for the paycheck alone or what's actually truly best for you from their perspective okay because again telling the whole picture is very very important for them secondly that they take the time to answer your questions you know people that haven't sold a house in 15 20 30 years which i've come across often they have questions about things because things have changed simple as that they can't remember buying their house 30 years ago right <laughs> yeah yeah and so they have questions and take the time, sit down with them if that's what they want, and discuss those questions or concerns with them so that they have a full understanding of what's required. And that also lets them know what you're willing to do for them. So I think that's really important as well. And at the end, just try to determine whether they're genuine because you want someone that's going to give you an honest opinion of the market, of what's going on, pricing, all that stuff. So you want to try to determine that they are just genuine and actually are there to help you. And ultimately, you want to trust them. As the client, you want to trust your realtor, your mortgage broker. So those are the three things that I would look at, making sure they're in it for what's best for you, 
take the time to answer your questions. Try to determine if they're genuine and that someone that you can trust. Right. Okay. Are there any other thoughts or comments that you want to add before we wrap it up? You know what? I think uh, I think I'm good. I might need another coffee though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Mark, thanks a lot for joining us, and uh, continue to rock your year. Thank you. Have a good day.